If you will, be turning to our master text this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and uh, we're going to read that here in a moment, but as you're finding that, I just want to open up with some introductory thoughts here and say that we've been studying uh, a series the last several weeks called Build an Ark, uh, God's Ark of Protection, and uh, I think with all the upheaval in the world, people are legitimately concerned about their futures, about our safety. Uh, We've talked about um, uh, Psalm 91 for a couple of Sundays there and just studied that and reminded ourselves of the promises of Psalm 91 uh, and the protection that God offers. We talked about how to build an ark of protection where our health is concerned. We studied some biblical principles where uh, walking in divine health is concerned. And then last Sunday, we began talking about building a a financial ark, if you will. And we're going to continue that today. As a matter of fact, I just kind of intended for this part of our series to just be one series. You know, I talk about money every year because money is such a, a, man, it's a big theme in the Bible. I don't know if you know that. So I always talk about it every year. And this year, I was just going to do the one teaching in the midst of this series, and then it felt like that God wanted me to just give it all to you. So rather than to try to condense it down into one teaching like I did last week, which made the teaching kind of long, uh, I just believe that the Lord wanted me to share the the whole thing with you again. So uh, I may be getting into several teachings uh, and giving us a biblical perspective about money. So, um, and, and you know what? I don't get it actually, when Christians say that, that we shouldn't talk about money in church or that we shouldn't concern ourselves with money because actually the Bible has a lot to say about money. There's, listen, did you know this? There's over 2,000 verses about money and possessions in the Bible, which is more than double the amount of verses on faith and prayer combined. So do you think maybe that God's trying to tell us something? And last week, we emphasized uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 7, which instructs us to excel in the grace of giving. Excel in the grace of giving. Now, when God tells us to excel in something, he's serious. We, We shouldn't shrug that off like it's meaningless. He's serious about it. Let's not shrug that off. That means to get to work, to work toward getting to the next level. It reminds me of a story that I heard about the famous artist Pablo Picasso. And one day he was in a restaurant and a woman approached him and asked him to uh, sketch a little something for her on a napkin. And she said that she would be willing to pay him whatever he felt like the, uh, the art was worth. So Picasso complied and quickly sketched out just an exquisite uh, piece of artwork on that napkin and then said, that'll be $10,000, please. And the woman said, but you did that in 30 seconds. And Picasso said, no, ma'am, it's taken me 40 years to learn how to do that in 30 seconds. You see, Pablo Picasso spent endless hours for decades learning to hone his craft so that he could excel. It wasn't just talent. It was a lot of hard work as well. And I believe God wants us to hone the craft of giving as well because he tells us to excel in this grace of giving. 
So what our master text is going to focus on this morning is exactly that, uh, getting good at giving and then the blessings that are associated with that. Okay, so with those thoughts as our introduction this morning, go ahead and stand up with me if you will, and we're going to read our master text in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 6. We're going to go through verse 15, and it says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Thank you for repeating that with me. That's why I wanted to emphasize that. So good job. God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, now he's quoting from Psalm 112 right here. He has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich, or your version may say enriched. Both of them are correct. You will be made rich or enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Verse 12, the service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And all God's people say, amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Praise God. All right. I want to begin getting into uh, what I wanted to talk about this morning by emphasizing that money does matter. It matters because, you know, Jesus talked more about money. Listen to this. Jesus talked more about money than he did any other one topic except for salvation itself. Did you know that? And so, daggone it, I was going to bring my wallet this morning because I have a few more bucks to give away this morning. Donna, can you help me again? (laughs) If If you have... I know, right? If you have two 20s, give me two 20s. Thank you. Thank you, dear. That's a big wad of bills that you got there. Oh, wow. Woo. My wife is loaded. <clears throat> exactly. All right. So I want you to help me this morning. We're going to do another little Wheel of Fortune game. But um, just go ahead and shout it out. We, we did it a little bit differently last week, but I'm going to have some fill in the blanks on the screen. And if you know what I'm trying to get out here, just shout it out. And I've got some money to throw at you. Okay. So here's the first one. Um, how you handle money is a test of your. Who said character? Who, who said it first? Hi, Joseph. Who, huh? Who got, it, who got it first? She got it first? Okay. You get the 20. 
Good job, Lily. Nice job. Yes. How you handle money is a test of your character. That's right. That's why Jesus talked about it so much, because it is a test. Money is a test of your character. See, now, Lily, you just got handed $20, so what you do with that money is a test of your character. See, there you go. Very good. So the tithing part, that is what she was saying. So she uh, understands the importance of tithing. Praise God. All right, here's the next one. God doesn't want us to be anxious about money because he wants to be regarded as our man. Yeah, yeah, I heard, I think several people at the same time said that one. Who, who, raise your hand honestly if you said provider. Make up a medal. There's too many people. <laughs> 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 who, who do you think was first? Bill. Who? Bill was first? Bill Cowan? There you go, brother. All right. Good. Pro- provider. Provider is what I was looking for there. God doesn't want us to be anxious about money because he wants to be regarded as our provider. Well done, Bill. And all of you others that said uh, provider, that's the correct answer. Now, those aren't the only two reasons that money is important. Money is also necessary to help build the kingdom because we need money for churches to function and orphanages and, and all the things that money goes to do to bless God's kingdom and also to help individuals as well. Now, by the way, you know, I talked extensively about money last week, and I, and I gave you some of my testimony. I got a little bit more personal than I intended to last week, but sometimes I just can't hold back in just expressing my thanksgiving to God for what he's done. So if I tend to look, get a little bit personal, I don't mean to sound braggadocious at all. If, if I'm bragging at all, I'm bragging on God, because you guys, you, you, you really don't understand that you know, I graduated in the lower one-third of my class in high school. There's 500 people in my graduating class, which means there's a lot of people that did a lot better than me. And then, you know, I did take a few college classes after that, didn't do well. I, you know, I really didn't like school that much. And I, I really am not the kind of person you would expect for God to bring me where I am right now. So if it seems like I'm just, I'm being a little bra- braggadocious, well, I kind of am. I'm bragging on God because I know apart from him, I couldn't have done any of what I've accomplished in business or ministry or personally in my character. God has done all this just because I've submitted myself to him. Uh, you know, you, most of you didn't know me prior to coming to Christ. And if you knew me back then, you might be literally shocked that God has brought me to the place where I'm actually pastoring a church if you knew me back then, because I, I was a pagan's pagan. I mean, anyway, I'm not going to get into it. Praise God. He, he is the God of transformation. So if I'm bragging, I'm bragging on God, okay? Um, but I, I say all that to lead up to a point here is that, that the message that I taught last week and the one that I'm going to teach today isn't just my opinion about what God says about money in the Bible. I'm going to give you the the biblical perspective, but I want you to understand that even the non-Christian world has begun to catch on to what the Bible says about money, not even knowing it really comes from the Bible. They've just stumbled upon this truth, and they know it's true. So I'm going to read to you a little excerpt out of a book I found when I was at FedEx office getting a print job done. 
uh, a few years ago, and I was waiting on the print job and, and didn't have anything else to do, so I was just looking through the book rack, and I saw this book right here, The Automatic Millionaire by David Bach, and the subtitle is A Powerful One-Step Plan to Live and Finish Rich. So I said, hmm, that's an interesting title. So I picked that up and began to thumb through it. And guess what? There was a, t there was a, a chapter in there that I found on tithing. Now, to my knowledge, David Bach is not a Christian. He's a top-selling author. He's been on Oprah because of you know, how savvy he is with finances and the books that he's written. So, you know, he's a widely regarded financial expert, but I don't know that he's a Christian, but he has a, a chapter in there on tithing. And I, so I thought, holy moly, look at this, a chapter on tithing in a non-Christian book. So I turned to it and I began reading. And I want to give you a little excerpt out of that chapter. You ready? Here we go. Let's read together. David Bach writes, although you should give simply for the sake of giving, the reality is that abundance tends to flow back to those who give. The more you give, the more comes back to you. Isn't that what we've been teaching? Isn't that what we just read in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, right? The more you give, the more comes back to you. It is the flow of abundance that brings us more joy, more love, more wealth, and more meaning in our lives. Generally speaking, the more you give, the wealthier you feel. And it's not just a feeling. As strange as it may seem, the truth is that money often flows faster to those who give. Why? Because givers attract abundance into their lives rather than scarcity. You know what he's saying? He's saying that they have stumbled upon a concept that we know as sowing and reaping. And this whole concept of tithing, you know, he says that, and he actually describes it perfectly according to the biblical model. He says tithing is giving away 10% of your income to your church or a nonprofit organization. They've stumbled upon, people that are wealthy have stumbled upon the truth that tithing, giving away 10% of your income to your church or a nonprofit organization is part of the recipe in becoming wealthy. So on that note, now that you know that even the non-Christian world has begun to pick up on this, maybe you won't you know, accuse me of being money grubbing, teaching on this because of money grubbing. I talked about that last week. You know, I don't need your money. God takes good care of me, so you know, I don't, you know, that's not my motive. My motive is for you to be blessed. Okay? So then generosity, we talked about mammon last week, and I'm going to enlarge on that a little bit again today. We won't turn to the scripture, but I want to describe mammon again. And generosity is indeed God's plan for crushing the life out of mammon. So what is mammon? Again, we referred to that in Matthew chapter 6 last week, Jesus' words. Well, mammon comes from the Greek word mamanos, and it refers to the false god of money worship. The false god of money worship. So, when, and, and by the way, let me just pause right there. Some of the more modern translations, which I mentioned last week, says that you cannot serve both God and money. And that's really not a good translation. The word must be mammon because it doesn't, doesn't say you can't serve God and, the, and physical money, although that's really true too. But it's referring to a spirit. It's referring to the spirit of mammon, which is the false god of money worship. So it's not just referring to the physical money. It's re referring to a spirit that leads one to worship money. That's what mammon is. So, again, um, 
When a person puts all of his or her security in money, then they are worshiping mammon. I feel like I need to say that again. When a person puts all of his, his or her security in money, then they're worshiping mammon. And, and listen, I want to say this real strong. Mammon makes a lousy God. It makes a lousy God because you can even make a large amount of money, but if you are influenced by mammon, you still won't feel secure or satisfied by it. You all constantly have to have more and more and more and more. You never feel totally secure with what you've got right now, even if you make a lot of money. If you're influenced by mammon, you'll never feel totally secure by it. But when God and his kingdom are your top priorities, you can have a sense of peace and security regardless of what happens to be in your bank account at the moment. Praise God. And by handling money God's way, there's a very good chance that you'll get to handle more of it. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes uh, more as well. All right, so here's a key concept for this morning is that God is not a taker, as some people seem to think. God is a giver. God is a giver. Now, I'm going to refer to here Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10, which says to honor the Lord with your wealth. We could just stop right there, and that could be the the primary point this morning that we would go home with. If we honor God with our wealth, he's going to take care of us. And he does take care of us, which means, which is why we need to honor him with our wealth. Okay. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all of your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now, Folks, listen, prosperity simply means more than enough. Simply means more than enough. It's having a surplus after you've given your tithes and offerings and paid your bills and then put some in savings. It simply means a surplus. And it doesn't necessarily mean that that everyone's going to be a multimillionaire. That's not what I'm trying to imply. But it does mean you should have plenty left over and a surplus to be able to, to be generous and to... Make all the ends meet, if you will, and uh, be able to have some, some recreational money. And, and uh, you know, God wants you to be blessed. He just does. So you ought to have a surplus is what I'm saying. Let me read another verse to you. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, not part of it. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this. In other words, test me. Test me, he says says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Now, some of you might say, well, I tithe and, you know, I feel like that I still have room. I'm going to get into that. I'm going to get into that because, well, hold that thought. I'm going to talk about that. But I first want to give you a little bit of a, a story here about my late Uncle John who lived down in Florida. And um, my Uncle John was born fairly poor, by American standards anyway, uh, down in South Alabama, a little bitty town in South Alabama. And uh, he was, let me see, I think the, the youngest, he, he had a twin. So he was the youngest of six kids, he and his twin brother. Well, my uncle uh, went on, 
with, with even out of college education, he went on to become a millionaire later in life. He started at, at Bell South for the telephone company and had just a little piddly job, just not doing you know, anything terribly important. But he was a hard worker and he, he worked his way up the ladder and uh, got to a, a top executive position and then had a, a side consulting business and he died a millionaire. And one day I approached my Uncle John. He and I were close. We really loved going down there to, to see him and my Aunt Gail. And we did that frequently. Uh, so we were close. I love my Uncle John. And I asked him one day, I said, you know, Donna and I are trying to build our financial portfolio and, and uh, would just love to have some advice from you how we can progress in this area. What, what, what's the one thing that you think that we ought to do to really begin to grow our financial portfolio? You know what he said? Tithe. Tithe. That's what he said. Tithe. He didn't say anything else because that was the foundation for what my Uncle John did. Um, and how many of you agree that if someone is getting better results than you, maybe you should listen? Amen. Now, tithing is not the only thing my Uncle John did, of course, because he was a very hard worker for all of his life. He taught himself how to be great with people, and he was a lifelong learner. He just never stopped learning. But yes, tithing was one of his top priorities. So on that note, when someone says to you, well, brother, I don't tithe because tithing was under the law and we live under grace. Well, there's a couple things that I recommend that you might say in response, depending on your relationship with that individual and depending on the situation. And first, you just might ask the person, how's that working out for you? Are you blessed beyond measure? The second thing I might recommend is that you communicate to the individual that we have to understand that the law, ladies and gentlemen, represents the minimum requirements. Let me explain what I mean. You see, the law said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 and 6, uh, it's actually in chapter 5 that you'll find this statement. Jesus said, if you even look at a woman... To lust after her, you've already committed adultery with her in, her in your heart. So the law just concerned itself with the outward behavior. But Jesus went on to say, no, God's looking at your heart as well. He sees what you do when nobody else sees. The law said, do not murder. But Jesus said, if you even hate someone, you're a murderer in your heart. The law says a tithe 10%, but the New Testament standard is that everything that you have, everything that you own, should be made available to God and His use anytime He calls upon you. So you can say to an individual that says that sort of thing, oh, you live, live under grace and not under the law? That's great to know. That means you're giving more than the tithe. Praise God. They might not like that, but if they're truly living under grace, not under the law, then that's really what grace does. It, it causes you to examine the inner, deeper motives of the heart, not just the outward behavior. Are you with me on that? All right, so I want to transition here and talk for just a, a few minutes about seven things that God didn't say about money. Because once again, there's a lot of misunderstandings in the body of Christ about money. 
and possessions. And I want to address some of those. So seven things that God did not say about money. And the first one is this, money is the root of all evil. The Bible does not say that, but I've heard that many times that, well, you know, brother, money's the root of all evil. No, no, that's not what the Bible says. But correct. Very good. First Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, that, that phrase, love of money, is the Greek word phalagoria, and it literally means, ladies and gentlemen, covetousness, greed, an insatiable desire for wealth that drives one's life. That's what he's referring to. He didn't say the love of money is the root of all evil, uh, or I should say he didn't say the money is the root of all evil, but the love of money, the greed, covetousness, an insatiable driving desire to have wealth that, that causes one even to lie and cheat and steal. That's what he's talking about, okay? Ephesians 5.5 addresses this, for of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God, which means, ladies and gentlemen, we better get this right. We better get this right. And by the way, um, you don't have to be rich to be greedy, as a matter of fact, some of the most generous people that I know are rich, my Uncle John being one of them. I know lots of people who aren't rich, but who are nevertheless very stingy. And unless they get out of that stingy situation that they're in, they'll never be rich, and not rich in God anyway, not rich God's way. Here's the second thing that God didn't say about money. God prefers his people to be poor. Now, this is a religious mindset that a lot of people have, and we've got to smash that sacred cow this morning. See, I'm injecting faith in you this morning because we've got to get rid of this religious mindset that God wants his people poor if you're ever going to grow your financial estate. Because everything in God's kingdom comes by faith. Did you hear what I said? Everything in God's kingdom comes by faith. If you can't believe it, you'll never have it. If you can't believe, well, this is a quick side note. When I lived in Greenwood, I was having my hair cut by a barber, and I always shared the, my faith with him. And he went to see the movie, the, the, um, the Passion of the Christ. And so, man, I used that as an opportunity to just witness to him. And he said, I just can't believe that someone would do that for me. So he, I, I preached the gospel to him, and he never did receive it because he just could not get his mind around that Jesus would do that for him. So he never received the gospel as, as long as I lived up there and got, was getting my hair cut by him. So see, if you can't believe it by faith, i.e. salvation, you'll never receive salvation. But everything else in the kingdom comes exactly the same way as how you got saved. You got saved by faith. Everything else that you receive in the kingdom comes exactly the same way. So the Bible says, by the way, so let, let's, let's get to this point. God prefers his people to be poor. Okay, well, the Bible says that there will always be poor among us, but God has raised up people like you and me to help them. And by doing so, God promises to bless us. 
So let's look at some scriptures along those lines. James 2, verses 15 and 16. Suppose there are brothers or sisters who need clothes and don't have enough to eat. What good uh, is there in your saying to them, God bless you, keep warm and eat well, if you don't give them the necessities of life? Likewise, Proverbs 11, verses 24 and 25 speaks to the blessing associated with this kind of generosity. And it says, one person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Say that with me. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. You see that sowing and reaping that's going on there? Okay, sowing and reaping. And listen, I want to say a word about poverty here for a second. Folks, listen to me. God hates poverty. He hates it. You know why? Because it's a work of Satan, not a work of God. And the Bible tells us that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Now, I'm going to show you a picture right now, and forgive me for the graphic nature of this picture, but, but you and I, as those raised up to help the poor, need to get some perspective don't we? I'm going to show you a picture. I'm going to give you a scripture related to this picture. So here it is right here. Forgive me for the graphic nature of that. I can't even tell if that's a little boy or a little girl, completely unclothed and literally skin and bones. That goes on in the world. It's going on in the world right now. Right now. You cannot tell me that God ordained that. Don't tell me that God ordained that. I'll be tempted to get in an argument with you and tell you what I really think of that. God did not ordain that sort of thing. That's a work of Satan. And he's called you and me to meet the needs of people that are in that kind of situation. In fact, I love that scripture, Proverbs 21, 13, which ought to hit you between the eyes. Whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. Listen, let me, again topple this sacred cow and then kick it a few times about God wants his people poor. How can you help the poor if you're poor? The poor can't help the poor. How can you help someone in that kind of situation that's starving to death if you don't have anything to give? Yes, there's always going to be poor people in the world, but God has raised up people like you and me to help the poor, praise God. All right, we're pushing on with these seven things that God did not say about money. Number three, that abundance is selfish. The Bible doesn't say that. See, the Bible, in fact, has financial principles of abundance all through it. Did you know that? And there were a number of very wealthy people that God approved of. You want to see a few of them? Here we go. Rich people in the Bible that were considered righteous that God approved of. Job, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, David, Solomon, Hezekiah, Joseph of Arimathea, and I could go on and on. That's a very partial list. John 10.10, we quoted a lot around here, the words of Jesus. The thief comes to steal. Who comes to steal, kill, and destroy? The thief does. Who's the thief? Satan. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come, Jesus said, so that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Now that word abundantly or abundant comes from the Greek word parasos, and it means excess, abundant, 
exceeding expectations beyond what is anticipated, advantage, and I like this one, preeminence. Preeminence. God wants you to do well so you have influence in the world. Praise the Lord. Yeah. And you may not have realized this next point, some of you, but most of the time when the Bible refers to wealth, ladies and gentlemen, it does so in the positive sense. Again, turning sacred cows over right now, turning conventional religious wisdom on its ear. Most of the time when the Bible refers to wealth, it does so in the positive sense. It's only when the Bible is teaching against greed and covetousness that the Bible mentions wealth in the negative sense. So I'm going to give you a couple, just like two verses out of Proverbs that mentions wealth in the positive sense. I mean, I could give you a really long list of all this, but I just chose two out of Proverbs. The first one is Proverbs 21. Both of these are out of chapter 21. Verse 17 first, whoever loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and olive oil will never be rich. In other words, if you just party away all your wealth, if you just like consume it all on material possessions and, and wine, women, and songs sort of thing, then you'll never be rich. It's, it's saying, do you want to be rich? Okay, fine. Then here's how to do it. Don't just consume everything that comes in. It's not condemning riches. It's, it's actually the opposite. It's condemning just blowing everything that you get. And then verse 20 uh, also supports that, verse 17, by going on to say, precious treasure and oil are found in the dwelling of a wise person, but a foolish man consumes them. So it's not speaking against wealth. In fact, he's kind of encouraging wealth by saying, just don't consume everything that you have. Manage your estate well. Save. And that's the way to accumulate wealth over time. Amen. Amen. And by the way, <laughs> I'm going to get a little pointed right now. I hope I don't offend some of you by saying some of the things I'm about to say. Because uh, I'm just not going to pull any punches on this. Because the religious climate out there in the, in the church today on this topic, there's just so much wrong thinking out there. So I'm going to try to topple that if I can. I hope I don't offend some of you in doing so. But the hypocrisy of this claim that, that abundance equals selfishness, well, most people who say that sort of thing are already living in their own abundance compared to the rest of the world. See, here's what I want to say to people who complain about pastors like me who teach about biblical principles of prosperity and generosity. I want to see two things. The first thing I want to say is, why is it that you supposedly don't believe in prosperity, but you're living in it? You have two late model cars. You have a nice temperature-controlled home. You eat to your heart's content. You have a closet that's bulging with clothes. And you have more recreational toys that you can shake a stick at. Listen, did you know that if your household makes just $60,000 a year, then you are in the top 3% of the world's richest people? Go look it up. Every person in this room is wealthy compared to the rest of the world. So to say that God doesn't want his people to live in abundance, yet live like most Americans live, is absolute hypocrisy. The second thing I want to say to people that claim that abundance equals selfishness, 
is that, okay, well, if you believe that, why don't you just put your money where your mouth is? And, and if you think that God likes scarcity more than abundance, why don't you just sell everything and give all the money to the poor and go move to Cambodia or some third world nation and become a missionary and just live by faith? Why don't you do that? And besides that, when people hit a really hard time financially and they can't make their bills, guess what they do? They cry out to God for mercy, and then they, they take a second job or something to try to make ends meet. Well, folks, again, that's hypocritical. Why is that? Because if you really believe that God doesn't want his people blessed, then when you hit a difficult time financially, you just need to suck it up and bear it with joy and accept this scarcity that God has supposedly brought upon you. Why are you trying to get out of God's will if it's God's will that you're in this financial bind? Again, hypocrisy. You, you believe that God put you in this financial bind, but now you're trying to get out of it. You're, you're, you're resisting what you believe is God's will. See, people don't even believe half of what they say. They really don't. Somebody say with me, hypocrisy. We do not want to be hypocrites, do we? No. Amen. All right, so pushing on here. You still love me? We okay? Yeah. Okay, two of you still love me. Um, okay. Yeah, I know. This, this doesn't describe the people in this room. But, you know, if you run across people that say those sorts of things, there's a little bit of, uh, you know, ammunition, I guess, in a conversation like that. But, uh, you know, but people do listen on the website, and uh, we do get hits on the website. We don't have a ton of people listening, but we do get hits on the website from um, other nations and that sort of thing. It's not a lot, but there's people that may have some, some of those kinds of mindsets that need to be tweaked a little bit. Amen? All right, so here's the next one, number four. Uh, the fourth thing that God didn't say about money, God encourages financial independence. Now, this is a tricky one because there's two sides to this. See, God does want us to be industrious and hardworking and earn our own way in life, right? But he also wants us to understand our dependence upon him. So let me give you a couple of scriptures along those lines. Proverbs 12, 24 says, diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in forced labor. We better be people who are industrious and hardworking. And then John 15, 5 goes on to say, this is the words of Jesus, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. So God doesn't want us to be dependent upon other people, but he does want us to be dependent upon him, understanding that everything that we have, our talents, our abilities, our jobs, our resources, all come from him. Ultimately, you can't brag about anything that you have or have done or accomplished. It all ultimately comes from God. Praise the Lord. Okay, so that's the fourth thing that God didn't say about money, that God encourages financial independence apart from him. So a little bit, you know, kind of tricked you there a little bit on that one. But he does want you to be dependent upon him, but not other people. Okay, let's push past that one. The fifth thing that God didn't say about money is that God likes big givers. Okay, well, that may again, seem counterintuitive or, or opposite of what I've been preaching, but I want you to understand that the dollar amount, ladies and gentlemen, is irrelevant because what God looks at is the heart of the giver and also percentages. Because he, Jesus said of the, the woman 
that gave the widow's mite. Remember the widow's mite story? Okay. He said that she put in two small coins, which was worth almost nothing. Like in our economy, it might be a couple of pennies maybe. But Jesus said she gave more than all the others. All the others that were putting in these huge amounts because they gave percentage-wise small amounts out of their abundance. But Jesus said of the widow, she gave everything that she had to live on and trusted God that he would provide for her when she sowed into his kingdom like that. And he commended her. So God likes big givers. Well, the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. That's out of our master text. God loves a cheerful giver. Okay. Um, we're pushing through these. Number six, the sixth thing God didn't say about money is that God doesn't require anything of me beyond the tithe. Uh-oh. Here's a very important verse along these lines. The words of Jesus, once again, Luke 12, 48. To whom much is given, much will be required. And to whom much more is given, much more will be required. Ladies and gentlemen, we're Americans, which means that we were born to varying degrees into privilege. I was born poor by American standards, but I ate, and I never missed a meal. I had clothes on my back and I lived in a temperature controlled home, which is way more than a lot of people in the world have. So all of us were born into privilege to various, various degrees, which means that you and I are part of the to whom much more is given. We are the much more. We're in the much more category. Amen. Praise God. So yes, God does require more than just the tithe. That's the starting place. Let me give you a few examples of that really quickly here. Are you okay so far? Are we doing okay? Okay. All right. Um, here's one. I mean, this is not in your notes, but you might write this down. You can take a screenshot of the, of the screen. Uh, but one thing that God commands beyond the tithe is wise money management. Okay? Saving, investing, avoiding debt, living within your means. Boy, that's a non-American kind of concept right there, isn't it? Okay? Wise money management. God, that's a financial principle in the Bible. And the, the scripture here is Proverbs 27, verses 23 through 24, which says, Be sure to know the state or the condition of your flocks. That means your financial estate. And pay close attention to your herds. For riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to every generation. That means manage well your money so that if the hard times hit, you have something to live on. Okay? Wise money management. The next command beyond the tithe is generosity to the poor, or what the Bible calls alms. And Proverbs 19.17 says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to who? The Lord. He takes that very personally. How we treat the poor, God takes that very personally. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. I've given you a little bit of, of just testimony about how God has, has brought Donna and me to a place of abundance because we've lived this lifestyle of generosity. And I want you to understand something, folks, again, because we're Americans, that the money that you and I throw around carelessly on frivolous stuff is a lifeline to some people. And I was reminded of that when we took our trip down to, to uh, Gulf Shores recently where Pam and Steve are going for a month. We got to stay a week. They're staying a month. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
so while we were going down there, we, we stopped off at a gas station, and uh, uh, Drew and Donna went into uh, the uh, to use the restroom and get some snacks and, and things in the and the. Um, the gas station store there while I was pumping the gas. And while I was out there pumping the gas, I saw this young man, and he obviously had a disability. He, his arm was drawn up like this, and yet it was clear that he was working for the gas station because he was taking out the trash and putting it in the big trash bin. He was working. You could tell he was laboring because one arm was drawn up and weak, and he was doing all this kind of heavy work with one arm. And, man, he caught my attention. And when he did, I just felt the Holy Spirit say, I want you to give him a gift today. And so I walked up to him and just got to know him a little bit. And, and by the way, one of the things that also struck me about him is that uh, he was a minority. Now, the reason that that struck me was because in America, we have things, uh, policies in place like affirmative action that is designed to help uh, m- minorities and also people with disabilities. And some people really, not all, but some people really take advantage of those government programs. And that's why there's some people in the inner city that, you know, they, they live in, in slums, but yet they'll have a $1,000 iPhone and a 70-inch flat screen TV, but yet they don't work. Uh, so I know that some people take advantage of that system, but this young man wasn't doing that. He was working hard. And so I walked up to him to get to know him a little bit. And uh, just, you know, he was a sweet, got just a sweet personality. And, um, and as I was talking to him, uh, he was talking about his life a little bit. And, and, and I, I, just, I pulled out $40 and I gave it to him. And he broke into tears and wept. Now, when I say wept, I don't mean just a little bit of, like, lip quivering. He broke down and sobbed. And hugged me around the neck and put his face against my face. I could feel his tears running down my face. $40. I throw around $40 like it's nothing. There's a lifeline to this young man. And so Donna walked up and, and she began to engage in the conversation. And I, thought, I was like, oh my gosh, $40 is like everything to him. So I said, Donna, what do you have in your purse? Give him, give him some more. I know. She's the one with the bucks. So so we sent him away with a big wad of cash, and he was so, so thankful. And I was blessed. And I tell you what, you know, God blesses you back financially whenever you do that sort of thing. But you know what? My heart was filled with joy leaving that place because that young man was so blessed. And so we exchanged contact information and, and uh, you know, we may stay in touch. I don't know. But the point I want to make about that <clears throat> is that, again, the money that we throw around so carelessly on just frivolous stuff. I mean, what's up? What's one of those big gulp drinks cost? I mean, I went to Starbucks, not Starbucks. I went, to, I don't go there. I don't go to Starbucks hardly any at all. But I went to a Christian-owned coffee shop the other day. Their prices are as high as Starbucks. You know, I bought a latte. It was like, you know, with the tip I gave, it was like over $6 for Pete's sake. So we throw around $5, $10, $40, $50 bucks on nothing. And yet this young man, it was like so incredibly blessed by this. It was like almost like it changed his life. But the other thing I think it did for him is that somebody cares. 
Somebody cares. Praise God. All right, let me, let me push on here. Um, <clears throat> here's another standard above the, above the tithe, special offerings and extravagant offerings. In the Old Testament, they would often have special offerings for certain things like the, the betterment of the temple and that sort of thing. They, they actually took up offerings for, for special occasions. And that's what our master text part of it is referring to. Uh, because in the context of this master text, it's talking about giving to other churches. The congregation in Corinth, um, Paul was addressing them about <clears throat> being generous to other congregations and for the, the, the sowing into his ministry as well. Okay, um, So he said again, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your store of seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. He was saying that to the Corinthian Christians because he wanted them to make sure don't stop giving to other ministries and don't stop supporting the advancement of the gospel in whatever way, shape, or form it presents itself. Amen? So yes, does God require things above and beyond the tithe? Absolutely, absolutely. All right, the seventh and final thing that God did not say about money is that serving God is a means to an end. God didn't say that. See, we cannot serve both God and mammon. That's why Jesus said to the rich young ruler who was being dominated by the spirit of mammon, okay, sell everything that you have, go uh, give all the proceeds to the poor and come and follow me. You know why he required that of him? Clearly, it was because he was serving mammon. Because when Jesus gave him that offer, he went away sad because he was a man of great possessions, the Bible says. He didn't want to give up his possessions because he was being dominated by mammon. Not understanding, had he sowed into the poor like that, like Jesus said, he would have gotten all that back and more in time. Praise God. 1 Timothy 6, verses 5 and 6 uh, addresses this. It, it's kind of hitting it mid-sentence here. People of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Uh, and what, Now, what's he talking about? He's talking about people, and we've got them today. There's some TV preachers. I didn't say all. I said some, probably the minority. TV preachers do what they do to manipulate folks out of their money because they see a quote-unquote godliness as a means to financial gain. So they're wolves in sheep's clothing. That's what he's referring to. Verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Praise the Lord. And Hebrews 13.5, keep your lives free from the love of money. Again, talking about greed and covetousness. And be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. If you do things God's way, he will not only take care of you, but also bless you. See, if we want to prosper God's way, ladies and gentlemen, I'm almost, almost done here. I'm going to bring up uh, uh, Brent and Samantha here for a quick testimony and then we're, we're going to be done. But, you know, I bragged on God a lot last week. I want some of you all to brag on God and what he's done in your lives as well because I know we have uh, a lot of you here that God has blessed you. All right, so if, if we want to prosper God's way, ladies and gentlemen, we cannot be dominated by covetousness. We have to avoid covetousness as a matter of fact, we've got to avoid it like the plague. You and I can't be focused on material goods and money if we want God to trust us with more. Yes. See, one financial principle of the kingdom is that if God can trust us with little, then God will entrust us with more. But if we aren't faithful with the little that we have right now, 
God will not entrust us with more. And this is my last slide here, and then I'm going to bring up Brent and Samantha for just a couple of minutes. So we're almost done. Hang with us. Psalm 35, 27 is a great reminder of God's intentions toward you. He says, let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. Now, by the way, I looked up that word prosperity just to make sure that the New King James Version, which I'm quoting there from on the screen, uh, just to make sure they got it right. I looked that up in the, in the, uh, the Hebrew, and that Hebrew word that's translated into English as prosperity is the Hebrew word shalom. Now, shalom, a lot of times people say, well, shalom means peace. Yes, it does mean peace. But as I've said many times, the English language is very narrow, very simplistic compared to the very expansive Hebrew and Greek languages. And sometimes you need a paragraph to really understand a single word in the Hebrew. And this is one of those occasions. The word shalom, and this is is a very partial um, definition as, as well. The word shalom means completeness, soundness, welfare, peace, health, prosperity, and contentment. In other words, you're going to be blessed in every area. And one of the best compliments that someone ever gave me was that he said, Andy, you're the richest man that I know, and it doesn't have anything to do with how much money you make, but you have peace in your home, and peace is priceless, he said. I've never forgotten those words, because he, he knew what it was like not to have peace in his home, and peace is priceless. So shalom encompasses all of that. Completeness, soundness, welfare, peace, health, prosperity, contentment. And then another related verse here, Proverbs 10.25, when the storm has swept by, the wicked are gone, but the righteous stand firm forever. So in keeping with the theme of our series that God is our ark of protection in troubled times, whatever financial storms may be coming upon this world, those storms will sweep away people who trust in their wealth. But when our trust is in God and we obey him with our money and we learn to be generous, then we will stand firm forever. Hallelujah. Can you take a little more? Can you take a testimony from Brent and Samantha? Come ahead up, Brent and Samantha. We want to hear from you. And uh, while you're up here, I'm going to sit down and cozy up next to my wife while you're here. So uh, as... uh, our elder, would you go ahead and close us in prayer after you're done? Yeah, that'd be a privilege. Thank you. Well, I'd like to uh, talk to you about the faithfulness of God. Is that okay? Yeah. yeah so um, in line with the, the teachings that we've been having, and i let you know, too, that Samantha and I discussed this testimony yesterday. So everything we're saying is, is, a, is a testimony from both of us, even though I am jealously holding on to the microphone. But uh, so I'll do... Uh, I'll do the talking this time. But um, uh, the testimony wouldn't be valid if we didn't tell you the starting point. So uh, Samantha and I have been, um, we're people of faith and that we have been in, uh, involved in church activity for many years, part of our married life. But we were not obedient to the scripture on tithing because we weren't taught and um, didn't really... I think I knew better, but was resisting for other reasons. But about four or five years ago, God began really stirring our family, and he, he stirred both our hearts. I have a healthy income, but I also have a healthy appetite for pleasure and fun. And so we had run up massive debts in credit and, and, and goods and services and so on. 
So um, at this point in time, we become convicted, and it was bring God his due, um, bring the full tithe in, into, um, into God's uh, fold and family. And I went to Samantha, and I said, I'm being convicted, and she immediately was like, me too. And that meant on, on paper, and this is significant, and, and I'll get back to this. On the paper, I went to the paperwork, and I said, that means that if we do that, we're not going to cover our other bills. We're going to have to trust that we're doing the right thing and, and put it in God's hands. So we went from that four years ago to today. God has increased our income 38% in four years. And I did that with a calculator also a couple of days ago. Sit down with, we were there on that day that I just told you about. And ran the numbers and it come up for, my, for our 10% that God asks. He gave 38% now. So that's the reality that we live in. We have no credit card debt. Um, we live an amazing, uh, blessed life. And uh, we're above the tithe. Uh, so now we have, in addition to tithing, uh, we're able to be generous over and above that on every occasion. Samantha had begun uh, supporting uh, Christian broadcasting. I began supporting a Christian mission in South America. She's now going to take up the mantle of, of another line of support for veterans. Is that right? And it's almost as though the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is saying because in, in passing, she's saying, I, I feel an urge to, um, to help support uh, veterans that have served this country. And I'm walking the other way and said, you know, praise God, support the veterans, do whatever you want to do. So all, all glory goes to God. So the testimony, God is, is good to his every word if we approach him in, with genuine faith. And I, I just praise him and give him all the glory. So um, let's uh, I'll go ahead and, and pastors asked me to do uh, have the prayer for dismissal. Would you all uh, just stand with me and let's just honor God in this prayer together. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.